Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. For any number of reasons, we know the childcare and the creche sector is literally on its knees. Apart from trying to get staff, COVID is a massive problem. Elaine Dunn, Chair of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. Uh, the, The sector on its knees, Elaine. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Yes, we absolutely are. We are at crisis point. We have said this now for weeks and weeks and weeks. In the last four weeks, the numbers of COVID cases within services has gone up dramatically. Staff are out sick, children are out. Uh, nobody seems to be listening. Um, we can't get staff. We've always been struggling for staff, as you're well aware. And we are now at crisis point because now with the schools being allowed to take in people with degrees and that, they're going to start taking staff again from our sector. So where does that leave us? And mm. I've said this before, I lost four staff in September to schools as SNAs. You know, we cannot keep this up. You know, when you when you hear uh, our Taoiseach saying, you know, we are going to get these antigen tests, but there has to be a fine tuning. I mean, what fine tuning do you need to open a box and send them out to the sector and as quickly as possible and stop all of this nonsense of holding them back? We know that there's so many of them in a warehouse here somewhere in Ireland. So please put them out to the sector and put us at, you know, make that the whole sector safe. Mm. We need something here we cannot keep it up our staff are worn out we're physically and mentally worn out and i'm not joking pj i'm not saying this lightly at this point we really are and we're trying to you know keep the economy going taking the children for parents so they can go to work but at what point do we say no more and we're at that point where we have to say no more we cannot do this anymore we can't do it without the supports the ewss they're going to start taking that away from us now in december which will then start to cut down the pod systems which will then put us at more risk that cannot happen Mm -hmm. it just can't I got into trouble during the week. Someone criticised me for saying on the air that the schools, particularly the primaries, and I would believe also the the care sector, the the, the early childhood sector, riddled is an un, not an unfair word. Riddled with COVID nineteen. In the last four weeks, it has gotten dramatically worse, absolutely. And you can go online, you can see the statistics, they are there. You know, when, when you hear from even the department saying that it has changed, you can see it on the HSE website, you can see the numbers, and it has gone up dramatically in the last four weeks. And that's only going to get worse as the winter comes in. Mm. And can I just say to parents, any parent that is listening, 
children are getting fairly ill. They are vomiting continuously. They're getting dehydrated. So vomiting is a big, big part of this COVID virus in children. So please be vigilant if your child is vomiting at all to, to go for a PCR test or take an antigen test. Mm. You know, it's I'd, be, really I'd be talking to a paediatrician in a few minutes. I'll actually bring that up. Uh, be, be, are, are you seeing that? You're seeing children we, we, We're hearing it everywhere, absolutely. I've asked all different services what way are children presenting and vomiting seems to be the worst the worst symptom that they're having and a, a cough and a runny nose but definitely vomiting is one of the, the big the big ones. Your shortage of staff was, was trouble enough without COVID but it must be making it 10 times worse now. Uh, absolutely. Look, staff have to go out. So I had COVID this week in my service so I had to close down my after school pods for a couple of days waiting on HSE by the way to come back to me took nearly 48 hours. Uh, I was two and a half hours on, on a line waiting for someone just to answer me. Um, so I just made a decision, conscious decision for everybody. I was closing the pods, staff were going to be tested and all parents did antigen tests and we reopened the pod yesterday. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, we just can't take those risks. We have to do a deep clean if COVID comes into our service at all. We have to be able to let the staff go home and isolate or get their PCR test. But unfortunately, with the PCR test, they're taking up to 48 hours before you even get an appointment. Yeah. So you're talking five, six days before that staff member can come back. Yeah. So in that case, you're then saying to parents, can anybody that's in a position, can you please keep your children home today? because we don't have the staff, we're going to be out of ratio. And there isn't a thing we can do. And I hope parents can really understand where we're coming from, because we cannot put our, our businesses at risk of being non-compliant with TUSLA regulations. You know, we're, we're up against it in every angle mm. in, in this sector. We really are. Elaine, people are taking a chance. And one of the reasons they're taking a chance is because it's four weeks Christmas and there are many mm -hmm. people in jobs where if they don't turn in they don't get paid and if little Johnny or Mary or Susan or Paul is a bit under the weather but they look like they're okay or maybe they're not symptomatic at all but one of their little friends is after a party last week they're sending them in they're taking the chance because they don't want to take the time off work that's your nightmare scenario Yes, absolutely. And what we have had is where children come into services um, at, say, half eight or eight o'clock in the morning, and then by quarter past 11, half 11, temperature spikes. And there you go. Uh, they're sick and there's nothing you can do. You have to send the child home. But we know then at that point that they've either been given Calpol or Nurofen to keep the temperature away. And I know that parents are under pressure. Please believe that we do understand from the parents' perspective as well, the pressure they're under. But we don't want to have COVID closing the whole service down. If we have to shut down for the couple of days or if you have to get somebody in your family to mind your child for those couple of days, if you're in that position, please do it. Don't send your children in sick to us. You know, we, we had a scenario where a child came to the back door with a runny nose and a little cough. And I was told by a parent, um, but it's not COVID. And I said, no, but your child is sick. I'm not taking a sick child in. No. Do you understand? So we're, we are up against it. But, and, I, and the parents are as well. So somehow the government has to do something here that suits all of us and helps us all. And the antigen tests. Is, that's one start. If we have enough antigen tests here that we can antigen test ourselves here as staff and give them to parents if the child is symptomatic and hand out that antigen test to parents and say, go home and do that antigen test and let us know what the results are. Yeah. I was in Tesco's yeah. this morning early and there was a guy just taking like 
boxes and boxes and boxes of them off one of these stock trolleys in the shop. They're, they're out there. Hundreds and thousands of antigen tests in every second shop. But still, you guys can't get the supply that you need without going out and paying hard cash for them, which will cost you a lot of money if you have to buy a lot of tests. Okay, so I, I bought 50 tests there last week and I paid 400 euros for the 50 tests. Now, they are the SARS ones. They're, they're a particular one that we have used all along and I trust and they're EU mm. regulated. Yeah, so the, the CE mark on them are okay, yeah. Yes, and we have used them here in our service all along. And of course, I'm going to get them, PJ, because I don't want to put any of my staff at risk at all. I've also given them out to parents where we felt that the parent wasn't coping and that we were just going to help them and give them the test and say, look, just go home and do it and then let us know. And then just keep a child. If it's not, then keep a child home for the 48 hours. You know, the normal. We just say keep them home for 48 hours if they're under the weather until symptoms change you know, and, and the temperature breaks and stuff. So, you know, we, we are all trying to do our best and so are the parents, but I totally understand the parents' perspective on, on this and I totally get our side of it as well, where the pressures we are under because staff are out sick or out isolating or it's in the household as well. What is your federation calling on government to do in the immediate term, as well as get, so, get you the antigen tests, but something else besides that? Okay, so we, we are calling on them to leave the EWSS as it stands for the coming months until we see where this COVID is going and, and to allow us to keep the pods in place. Because if that funding is pulled, there is no way can we afford to pay the cleaners that are coming in, the kitchen helps that are coming in and all of the other auxiliary staff that are coming in to help and support the service. They will be gone because we will not be able to afford to pay them. And that's factual. The funding that we get at the moment is not enough to keep our business sustainable and we've always said that and um, the other thing the antigen tests we're calling for priority pcr tests is another one please prioritize it if an antigen test comes back and it's positive please prioritize our staff to get the pcr test as soon as possible not four or five days wait it's absolutely ridiculous and um, some staff by the way also have to go to different counties Mm. to get PCR yeah. tests as we speak, you know. Do, do you Maybe accept what I think it was Paul Reed? I may be wrong on exactly who said it, but I know it was said yesterday that there's not a health system in the world could cope with this kind of pressure on a, on a PCR testing system. Do you accept that? Uh, do you know, to be fair, yes, I do. So then why have you not rolled out the antigen tests? Yeah. You know, it's, the antigen tests have been used all over Europe. Okay, yeah. and they're working. Yeah. And they've been working since last Christmas, by the way. So we are like 11 months behind here. Why are we 11 months behind? I have no idea. I would love to get in there to ask a lot of questions in, in the doll to a lot of TDs as to why this is continuously going on the way it is when you, it's very clear and evident that antigen tests work. Okay. Elaine, I'll leave it there. Thank you. Elaine Dunn, the chair of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. The sector on its knees due to many issues, but COVID at the moment being the principal one. She mentioned vomiting as a symptom, and she mentioned how many, many young kids are getting sick. They're not asymptomatic, or they don't asymptomatic, or they don't have just a little snuffle, like we're told. A lot of children are getting very sick. We'll take a look at that next. Courts ninety six FM. Dr. Neve Lynch, consultant paediatrician at the Bonds, has been on the opinion line many times during this COVID crisis. Neve, before I go and talk about your tweet of last evening, just that question raised by Elaine with regard to vomiting in children who subsequently turn out to have COVID. Have you seen that? Good morning. 
Good morning, PJ. How are you? Um, I suppose in the hospital, we're not seeing that because generally children don't get sick enough to need to come to hospital, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, but GPs are certainly reporting tummy symptoms. Now, um, it, vomiting hasn't yet made it into the HSE guidelines, but diarrhea has. Mm. So I suppose by extension you know, tummy symptoms are certainly becoming increasingly recognised as a symptom of COVID in young children. We've seen a huge number of cases recorded in the under 10s in the last couple of weeks, but they are by far now the biggest group uh, testing positive on a day-to-day basis. There's a kind of a false belief out there, isn't there, Neve, that children just shake this thing off in a couple of days, it does them no harm. Uh, yeah, so most children do shake it off, um, but obviously the children that I would see in the aftermath of COVID would either have complications from the COVID itself or have ongoing tiredness or loss of taste or, you know, various other symptoms like headaches and things like that. Um, so, yes, you know, it's like many illnesses, the vast majority of people will be fine. Uh, but a tiny percentage will not be fine. And, you know, if you look back through the, the years and the decades, polio would have been like that as well, you know, and I'm not I'm not comparing COVID with polio, don't get me wrong. Sure. But, you know, the, it, that happens with certain viruses. Measles are the same. You know, most children will be fine with measles, but a small percentage will become very unwell and a small percentage again will die. Now, thankfully, with COVID, thank goodness we haven't seen any deaths in young children. Mm. What do you make then of the attitude of government and indeed attitude of NEFET to the primary school sector in particular? Um, I suppose it's hard to talk about attitudes. Maybe actions would be actions, easier to perhaps, talk about. better word then, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I suppose, look, um, better mitigations in school is something that I personally and many of my healthcare professionals colleagues have been calling for for some time as have teachers and teachers have been powerful advocates for children throughout all of this um we're in the cold grip now of winter and most classrooms are trying to ventilate uh, by opening windows mm. and children are cold you know i'm looking at my own kids coming home and they're bone cold you know that cold oh, that it yeah. takes them yeah. ages to warm up you know it's it's I don't know, it's kind of like my father telling me about school in the 50s honestly yeah. um you know they're very cold um the co2 monitors not all classrooms have them now my daughter's school she has one in her class and to be fair they take action as soon as it goes orange or you know like this so there's they have a great protocol in place but not every classroom in the country has co2 monitors and Really, they should have adequate ventilation as well, you know, like with these HEPA filters and things like that. They're not that expensive. Um, and, you know, we have to accept that COVID is airborne. It's it's spread by people breathing and coughing. It's not spread so much by surfaces and things like that. And so, you know, of course, it's important to wash hands and things like that. Yeah. But really, the emphasis needs to be realigned to the ventilation measures. And yeah. look, we have to have a conversation. Mary Horgan was on the radio this morning, Professor Mary Horgan. She's the president of the RCPI. And she was on the radio this morning saying that children in school need to be wearing masks. Yeah. And that's a conversation maybe we should have had a long time ago. Well, no, you know, but it gets the, la- the, the last most- time we did have that conversation, HICWA said that it wasn't... Mm-hmm. To, to, to be recommended. Now we think Nifet are looking at it again. I mean, 
Children, children are what you do, as they say. Eve. I mean, the, the the talk has been, and every time it it's mentioned, I, I get messages from, ah, it's so hard on the poor little kids. Put them in a mask all day. Is it hard on them? And should we put them in a mask? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It is hard on everybody to wear a mask. You know, I suppose we get used to it. We've gotten used to it over the last year. Children are incredibly adaptable, and I think we need to give them a bit of credit. You know, a lot of the children who come in to see me, aged down as young as three, wear masks perfectly well. Of course, children with special needs and learning disabilities and things like that would probably not be able to tolerate it. Yeah. You know, but extra mitigations should be put in place. Like sensory issues in a, a little six-year-old yeah. with autism. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, or, you know, somebody who had, like, say, you know, any sort of facial um, issue, you know, like a cleft palate or anything like that, yeah. they might find it hard, you know, like structural sort of anatomical problems. Um, but the vast majority of kids, like, oh, like, and I'm not saying the smallies now, right? So, but once they get over the age of age, say from third class up, I, I don't see that they would have a major problem. But obviously all of these things have to be evidence-based, you know, and we're trying to do best practice. But I think we're behind the curve with a lot of things with regards to classrooms. So um, some of the studies that were quoted to sort of um, emphasise to us that schools were safe back in September were based on a Spanish data, which was actually d- derived from children wearing masks in school. So it wasn't applicable to the Irish population because... They weren't wearing masks. Ah. And so, you know, we have to take an honest look and have an honest kind of grown-up conversation about masks because as soon as anybody mentions masks, the accusations around, you know, cruelty to children and stuff like that get flung about Mm. like confetti at a wedding. And, you know, the thing is that nobody wants to do anything that will harm a child. But, you know, how is it helping a child to have them in a classroom where they are potentially exposed to a virus? Would you not want to put all the protections that you could in place if you want to keep the schools open? Mm. Because the whole other conversation is, can the schools stay open? Yeah. I mean, I can see it now. Messages already starting to drop into our text and WhatsApp to say putting a mask on a child is cruel. Yeah, and they haven't ever seen real child cruelty. They haven't seen what cruelty to children actually is. I have. Yeah. And I don't want to talk about it, but that's not cruelty to children. Yeah, I think that answers you know, that so question, Even You don't need to say another word. And yeah, you're, that, that, that answers that question. You tweeted 
Last evening, most of the people delivering the keep your symptomatic children home message are middle-aged, middle-class men. Most of the people trying to follow that message are not. What do you mean by that? Mm. Well, I could have said people there. It's not all men, obviously. Um, but uh, I suppose everybody I heard on the radio last night was a man. But the messaging is mixed. It's confusing for people. Uh, if you look at the HSE website, there are two separate sections in terms of when you should keep your child at home. Both of them say different things. Um, you know, it is very, very difficult for parents. I'm, I'm meeting them every day. They're bringing their children for COVID tests, you know, couple of times a month because the symptoms could be COVID and they're doing the right thing. Now they can't get the COVID tests, so they have to stay at home. These are working people. They have to stay at home with their children. And I'm not saying it's right to send children to school. I'm not saying that mm. at all. But I think mm-hmm. it needs to be acknowledged by somebody somewhere that the burden on parents at the moment is immense. And for parents who are in precarious jobs, for parents who um, you know are in low-income families, it's very, very difficult and maybe some sort of support needs to be put in place. Maybe employers need to be instructed to um, make some accommodations for these people. But yeah. those kind of conversations aren't being had yeah. and it needs to be recognised. Now, it's probably going to be three or four weeks of just things being bad and feeling very bad. But like we're in the run up to Christmas. It's a very difficult time for some families and somebody needs to have that conversation that these are parents who are at the pain of their collar and who are trying to do their very best, mm. but it doesn't seem to be being acknowledged. And then the messages that are coming out are quite mixed. You know, schools are safe. And then suddenly, oh, no, we never said schools are safe. Things like that, you know. Yeah, did you feel a little bit gaslit by that yesterday, Neve? Mm. I, I don't think I'd be alone um, in feeling that, you know. Um, I think, look, they're under a lot of pressure at the moment. And um, they're, they're doing their best. And look. This is everybody's first pandemic, you know, um, but I think like it's the same thing. Let's just have a conversation and let's not just persuade ourselves that if we keep keep saying schools are safe, they'll be safe. That's not what happens. You have to actively mm-hmm. make schools safe. And I've been saying that for months. Many of my colleagues have as well. Yeah. You have to make schools safe. Uh, just pick up again on something you said a minute or two ago. The, the whole mantra of schools being safe over the last few months did I hear you right when you said much of the data on which that was based came from places like Spain where children were wearing masks in class? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have that paper. It was tweeted out by a member of NEFIT, and so I went and read it. And in the first paragraph, it states that uh, children were wearing masks. So that test group, in other words, was a totally different set of circumstances. I would, I would imagine so, yeah, yeah, because it's, it, it is a difference. You know, if you look at the, the recent uh, data from the WHO about masks, that they reduce transmission by, I can't remember exactly, more than 50% anyway. Um, you know, there is data there, there's evidence there that masks are effective. Uh, so look, and I'm not, like, I'm not saying put smallies in masks, I'm not saying that at all, but maybe consider it for the older kids. Yeah. You know, in, older in being what, seven, eight? I'd say over the age of eight, they might be able to manage it, you know. Um, but we, we would. What, we what age did they start in the other countries? Do you know? Six. Right. Mm. Would you? You wouldn't go with six, no. 
I don't know, it's not up to me, but like, um, you know, I think we we should start somewhere anyway at this yeah. stage, you know, but I, I don't know. I mean, I I think we could be closing the stable bo- door after the horse is bolted now there's at this stage, well. you know, looking at the numbers. Yeah. There's, there's that yeah. as well. I mean, Americans, American kids have been wearing masks for some time as well, even during, even during the Trump, the Trump, the last of the Trump days, mm. they were wearing, wearing masks in school. Niamh, you were the one who, who coined the phrase, which we come back to many times, my mask protects you and your mask protects me. Maybe we've forgotten that message a little. Yeah, look, I think adults have, have been still pretty good. There was a lot of discomfort and upset in the early days, if you remember, around adults having to wear masks as well. You know, I, I hated it. And didn't lie about it. I yeah. hated it. Yeah, people weren't... Happy. But everybody... I actually, most of the time, feel more comfortable with a mask on now in crowded situations yeah. than with it off, you know? Um, and... Uh, Look, I think it's just it's just time to have a conversation around the schools again. And masks are only part of it. Like this is the big problem that like everybody said vaccines are, are, are the way out of this, right? But if you look at the response to COVID, it's a ladder, right? So at the bottom of the ladder you have your, you know, your hygiene and your cough etiquette and things like that. But then you have your um masks and then you have your social distancing and then you have your ventilation and then you have your vaccines. But if you take out the rungs of the ladder you still can't crawl out of the hole. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So if you take away the mitigations like the ventilation and stuff like that, then there's t- you can't there's not all the steps aren't there. So you can't get out. So vaccination is one step, masks are one step, ventilation is one step. But you have to have all the steps. Otherwise yeah. we're just gonna keep like I mean, how many times have we had this conversation oh. now? You know, and the last time I talked to you I was so happy because of, like the numbers were good. Yeah. And we're back in it now. I mean, you know, the Orla Hagerty, I don't know if you um follow any of the stuff that oh, she puts out. She's an artist. Like she predicted this pretty much to the minute in terms of when uh, the wave was going to come again, because in the reality is our climate, we have to be indoors in the winter because it's freezing outside. And so uh, then then the virus can circulate more because it's airborne and it's it thrives inside where it can just hop easily from one person to the next. And, you know, without open windows or ventilation, you're not going to win. Eve, on the subject of the vaccines, we, we know that the European Medicines Agency and then NIAC, between the two of them, were probably just maybe weeks away from a decision on vaccinating the under-12s. Can it come soon enough in your mind? Uh, I think, like everything, we have to do all the other stuff first. Yeah. You know, like we thought we could vaccinate our way out of this as a country and we have, we've proven that we can't. Yeah. And so well, no, what I mean is this is know, one of the tools in the drawer that yeah. I have, that you have, that everybody else has. All the adults have access to vaccination. The children mm, don't. So they're missing a tool in the armory. They are. But, you know, adults are still, despite being vaccinated, are still getting infected. True. Do you know what I mean? True. So, true. Like, that's why you still need everything else in place. Like, this will, this will not go away or, you know, will continue to be present in high numbers with high levels of severe infection until everybody's been infected or we start to adopt mitigation measures to try and slow it down again. Yeah. You know, so like unless we do all the steps of the ladder, we're going to keep falling back into the hole. And, you know, pinning all our hopes on a vaccine for under 12s will land us back in the same situation again. We have to do all the steps. Just for a minute or two more, can I bring you back to something you wrote in February in the Examiner, Neve, um, which which mm-hmm. I read about children being the canaries in the coal mine. Look back mm. then, 
and come back to come to where we are now. Yeah. Our children you 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 predicted then that many of our children would unfortunately be 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 damaged for quite some time. Do you still hold that view? Are you still seeing that? Still seeing it, PJ, but a lot less. They had a great summer, which really helped. Good, and good. getting back to school, getting back to school was so important. But what I'm seeing now is anxiety again around school because the talk is, will the schools open again after Christmas? And so my lovely little patients who love school and love their teachers, they're asking me, you know, <laughs> do I think they'll be going back to school after their holidays? And I can't give them an answer. You know, I, I can't, I, I tell them, oh yeah, everything will be fine. Of course I do, but that may not be, that may not prove correct. And so the anxiety is creeping back into their little faces again. You can see it, you know. So I really think children ha- have to be prioritised. I've said this repeatedly. I've said it till I'm blue in the face, you know. Um, the priority has to be children. They, you know, like Whitney Houston said, they are the future. And if, if we sort of repeatedly kind of, upset them and deprive them of their social contacts, then we are shaping the kind of people that they're going to become. And, you know, that will stay with them then for the rest of their lives. Already, children have learned that there's no point in making plans and that mummies and daddies break promises that they've made about birthday parties and communions and things like that because they don't have the control that they had before. Yeah. So they've learned to let go of, of plans and, you know, how long is it until they let go of kind of hope and a bit of crack and, you know, yeah. because that's what happened when they were deprived of school. They definitely became very flat and very down in themselves. All of them, you know, and some were fine, but some became very dysregulated, you know, yeah. and they've been OK. They've been OK since uh, since the summer they've had. They did have a great summer and the weather was great as well, which really helped. Um, but the anxiety, I can see it in their little faces, the anxiety is creeping back again, you know. Now, that's not a scientific statement. That's no, just no, but what your, your observations as a doctor. Yeah. Throughout this, Neve, you've been you've been one of our best contributors. We've been on frequently with us throughout the pandemic. And I, I, I don't, maybe we will or maybe we won't speak again this side of Christmas, but you must be sick, sorry, and tired of it now. I am, you know, that phrase that your parents say, I'm not angry, I'm disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm disappointed that we're in this situation again when so many of the moving cogs uh, were were identifiable as potential problems and were pointed out over and over again repeatedly to the people uh, in, you know, who have some control over this and either ignored or not heard or whatever um but you know i'm getting to the point where i feel that we have been let down um and i i feel very very bad for my colleagues who work in, in intensive care and in the adult side because they're just their hearts are breaking all over again and they're very tired now you know i mean i'm i'm lucky and we're lucky in pediatrics obviously we're dealing with all the other viruses but my hospital you know across the city across the country um They've seen awful things and they're going to see more difficult things, you know. Yeah, that's true. One last one before I let you go. When this call has come in to us, when the schools were closed for months, all the school children were around in massive gangs on the streets and in estates. If the schools were open then, they'd have been in a more controlled environment. There'd have been no horseplay. You have to look at that too. Is that person missing the point? 
Mm, yeah, so um, outdoors is actually pretty safe um, for kids. So uh, that's another thing that children have had to endure, actually, is the sort of side eye from the older generations, you know, when they when they gather in groups outside. Um, and generally, it's always been outside. These are, these are not people who are going to nightclubs or <laughs> anything like that, you know. <laughs> these are kids outside playing. And they do get disapproving glances and tuts, you know, and they're not actually doing anything wrong. That outside is a safe environment. The problem is the classroom. It's the indoor environment. It's where air becomes stale and hangs around. And the virus is, if somebody in the class has it, if they're breathing in and out in a static air, then the chances of somebody else breathing in that virus is much higher than if they're around outside when the air is circulating. Okay, leave it there. Uh, as always, thank you so much for your contribution to the opinion line. Dr. Neve Lynch, consultant paediatrician. Courts 96 FM.